focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Handan and Son Bokyang. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. All right, so uh, let's start things off with uh, South Korean President Yoon suk yeol having held a series of multilateral summits over the weekend in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. This uh, during his first trip to uh, Southeast Asia since taking office earlier this year. Uh, Don, let's start things off with the ASEAN Plus 3 summit. Uh, what, what are some of the key takeaways there? Right, President Yoon suk yeol emphasized that cooperation between the ASEAN member nations and South Korea, China, and Japan Japan is ever more important, saying that we must overcome multifaceted crises through solidarity and cooperation. According to the presidential office, he made some uh, pragmatic proposals to achieve this, which included expanding the realms of Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, and uh, boosting supply chain cooperation among RCEP members. He also suggested realistic ways to enhance competitiveness of small and mid-sized firms in RCEP member nations and strengthen technology ties in various fields such as climate change. President Yoon also expressed willingness to actively engage in efforts for smooth operation of the ASEAN Plus 3 currency swap to counter increasing market volatility. He pledged South Korea's continual contribution to the ASEAN Plus 3 emergency rice reserve and expand support for the bloc's food and energy security through development and distribution of clean energy. First created in 1997 to tackle the Asian financial crisis, the ASEAN Plus 3 Summit marked its 25th anniversary this year, being held offline for the first time in three years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so Tanya, you mentioned that President Yoon emphasized cooperation between the ASEAN member nations. Uh, South Korea, China and Japan is ever more important. Uh, So did the leaders of South Korea, China and Japan hold a three-way meeting during the sidelines of the main summit? No, but President Yoon did say that he hopes the three nations will resume the trilateral summit soon and reactivate the mechanism of three-way cooperation. South Korea is this year's chair of the Seoul-Beijing-Tokyo summit, but the meeting did not materialize in Phnom Penh. The three-way summit has been stalled since 2019 due to soured bilateral relations as well as COVID-19 pandemic. Chinese Premier Li Keqiang attended the ASEAN Plus 3 summit, as is customary in China, and he stressed that peace and stability in the region made rapid economic growth possible in East Asia, which enabled the bloc to serve as an engine of global economic growth, and so efforts must continue to maintain regional peace and stability. President Yoon voiced concerns to Lee about North Korea's unprecedented provocations, and to this, Lee vowed China's constructive role in denuclearizing the Korean peninsula. Meanwhile, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida promised to seek various ASEAN Plus 3 initiatives, saying Japan fully supports ASEAN's Indo-Pacific strategy. Yeah, that's just the thing right now. I mean, we talk about a number of different summits that uh, took place so far in the six-plus months of uh, President Yoon's administration, but uh, the one 
counterpart that hasn't held uh, talks with uh, President Wen, uh, Yun just yet is, of course, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, there's been, uh, for the longest time, speculation that uh, Xi Jinping might come to Seoul. Uh, certainly doesn't seem that way. Uh, there was no planned summit on the sidelines of the summit there uh, between the leaders of South Korea and China. But uh, the consensus right now is that China is uh, not really up for summit talks uh, with South Korea, unless South Korea deals with, uh, resolves the whole THAAD issue, I think is what the consensus is right now. And so even Xi Jinping, unless he's guaranteed that somehow talks with South Korea is going to lead to the removal of the THAAD defense system, uh, that's probably the best way to have them, you know, hold talks. But that's not going to happen here. But uh, one thing is for sure, South Korea right now, uh, aside from the economic benefits and, you know, being uh, having been a, a big trade partner there, they also need a lot of cooperation when it comes to North Korea issues, as uh, China happens to be one of the very few allies, sort of speak, of uh, North Korea. And they, they do, North Korea, in some ways, they do like, listen to China. Uh, also, President Yoon Seok-yeol reaffirming the Indo-Pacific strategy and stressing that the preconditions for peace on the Korean Peninsula is North Korea's denuclearization. Okay, so when were the remarks made? Let's get the details of this, Bogyoung. Sure, so according to the presidential office, President Yoon Seok-yeol said at the 17th East Asia Summit held on Sunday in Phnom Penh that the international community should strongly cope with North Korea if the regime chooses to again fire its ICBMs or carry out nuclear tests despite repetitive warnings from the international community. But President Yoon also stressed that South Korea is always open for dialogue with the North, implying that Seoul will support the denuclearization efforts of North Korea according to the government's audacious initiative. The East Asia Forum, or EAS, refers to the regional forum held annually by 10 member countries, plus countries including South Korea, the U.S., Japan, China, and Russia, and so on. EAS meetings are held after the annual ASEAN leaders' meetings and plays an important role in the regional architecture of the Asia-Pacific region. Explaining the new Indo-Pacific strategy, Yoon stated that South Korea will try to strengthen the rules-based international order, which is also based on universal values, and promote peaceful resolution through dialogue. Yoon also stressed that any unilateral change in the status quo by force should never be tolerated. About the war in Ukraine, Yoon said that Russia violated international law and has threatened the lives and human rights of the Ukrainian people. He also said that South Korea was determined to increase humanitarian assistance to Ukraine. When Yoon was making those remarks, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was actually sitting on the left side of Yoon. President Yoon also voiced his worries about the retreat of democracy in Myanmar after a military coup last year and pledged South Korea's increased humanitarian assistance to the Myanmar people in close cooperation with the international community. Yoon also called for refraining from actions that raise tensions in the South China Sea, saying that the body of water should become a sea of peace and prosperity that defends the rules-based maritime order where the freedom of navigation and overflight are guaranteed. All right, so I, let's kind of talk about the last piece there because it seemed like uh, President Yoon 
uh, again, emphasize this uh, importance of cooperation with not just Japan, but also with China as well. Uh, but I mean, the whole Indo-Pacific strategy, I mean, it, it sort of sounds like South Korea is joining the U.S.-led efforts to contain China. Uh, can, can we interpret it that way? Right. So after President Yoon's remarks were made, there were speculations raised that South Korea is more aligned with the U.S. to keep China in check. In a press briefing on the same day, a high-ranking official from the presidential office said that the remarks, for instance, on the status quo do not target a certain country but should be interpreted in generalities. The official said that whether it is the U.S. or China, Korea needs to spread risks and the strategy could be interpreted as not putting all its eggs in one basket. He also added that it is time to view the ASEAN region from a broader perspective, incorporating politics, diplomacy, development and economy, since ASEAN has become a field of competition between the U.S. and China. Also, National Security Advisor Kim Sung-han explained that the Indo-Pacific strategy is South Korea's first comprehensive regional strategy, broadening the country's diplomatic perspective. Kim said the UN administration is the first Korean government to affirm that the key elements of Korea's foreign policy are upholding universal values such as freedom, human rights, and the rule of law. However, he also stressed that it does not mean that Korea excludes or condemns countries that do not share these values. All right, uh, let's go into some important uh, major summit talks here. A bilateral summit between uh, President Yoon Sagara and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida was also held. Uh, this is where the two sought ways to normalize soured uh, Seoul-Tokyo relations. Uh, we've seen throughout the six-plus months of the Yoon administration that uh, this current administration has been really pushing to improve ties with Japan. Obviously, the historical issues are the big kind of uh, uh, thing that issue that's standing in the way there. Uh, Tan, tell us what was uh, being discussed at that uh, bilateral summit. Well, the summit came just two months after the two held brief talks on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly in New York in September. And this time, the meeting was held for 45 minutes, a bit longer than expected. Prime Minister Kishida first expressed condolences for the Itaewon crowd crush, and President Yoon also extended words of condolences for the two Japanese victims. The two leaders uh, made one voice condemning North Korea's flurry of ballistic missile launches, calling them a grave threat to regional and international security. They reaffirmed to reinforce South Korea-U.S.-Japan trilateral security cooperation as well as U.N. Security Council-level response. According to the presidential office, the two welcomed prompt recovery of people-to-people -people exchanges between the two nations and agreed to continue talks to resolve pending bilateral issues in a swift manner, including the compensation issue of Japan's wartime forced labor for Korean victims. In regard to this, the Japanese government issued a press release saying that President Yoon and Kishida saw eye-to-eye -eye on the need for an early solution on the matter, based Based on the fact that respective foreign ministries are speeding up negotiations. Kishida also earned President Yoon's support on the issue of Japanese abductees in North Korea.
The neighbors have been locked uh, in a prolonged feud over Japanese firms' payment of compensation to Korean forced labor victims, with Japan insisting all matters of compensation were resolved under a 1965 bilateral treaty, despite South Korea, South Korean Supreme Court's ruling that ordered in favor of the victims. President Yoon and Kishida also discussed their respective Indo-Pacific strategies and agreed to work together for an inclusive, resilient, safe and free and open Indo-Pacific region. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's no secret that the two leaders probably really want to find, uh, they're probably really eye, you know, eye to eye and uh, trying to resolve this issue as soon as possible. But the, the difficult thing right now, it's not the fact that they're seeing eye to eye and trying to resolve the issue. The difficult part is finding the middle ground where every uh, involved party will be happy with the results. We're Including talking, the victims. That's the big thing, right? Because so far what the, the two governments have come up with uh, are plans or resolutions that will make both governments happy, not necessarily the victims happy. And uh, I mentioned before, the biggest uh, the people that really need to uh, approve of any kind of resolution uh, from the two government are going to be the victims. And that's been kind of the hard thing right now. Uh, it's again, I mean, I, there's talks that, to me, this doesn't seem like there's any kind of re uh, resolution in, t in regards to this. They said both uh, foreign ministries are working on something. We still don't know what that uh, solution is. And if it involves, again, South Korean companies compensating the victims, the victims themselves are not going to be happy. And so far, that's been the only solution uh, that we've seen so far. Uh, also, we had the uh, the summit, uh, 101 summit being held with uh, President Yoon and also his American counterpart, U.S. President Joe Biden. Uh, Pogang, tell us what was said and agreed upon during that one-on-one -on -one summit. Right. So during a one-on-one -on -one summit held on the sidelines of the regional gatherings, President Yoon Seok-yeol and U.S. President Joe Biden reaffirmed their stance to respond with overwhelming force using all available means should North Korea use its nuclear weapons. According to a press release from the presidential office, the two leaders shared their serious concern over North Korea's recent unprecedented and aggressive provocations and agreed to maintain and strengthen the seamless coordination and firm combined defense posture. President Biden reaffirmed the United States' ironclad defense and extended deterrence commitment to South Korea and called for continuing close consultations on ways to strengthen extended deterrence. The two leaders also addressed South Korea's concerns about the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, which gives tax credits only to electric vehicles assembled in North, Korea, North America. Sorry. Their concerns it could act as a trade barrier for South Korean auto companies. The presidential office said that President Biden said South Korean businesses contribute greatly to the U.S. economy in areas including autos and electric batteries, and that the IRA's implementation should be discussed in consideration of all of that. The summit, the summit lasted 50 minutes, which was 20 minutes longer than scheduled, and also covered the Allies' cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region. President Yoon explained South Korea's new Indo-Pacific strategy, saying it has decided to formally participate in the Partners in the Blue Pacific Initiative launched by the U.S. and other countries. Now, the Partners in the Blue Pacific Initiative is a five-nation mechanism to support Pacific islands and to boost diplomatic economic ties in the region. One of the goals of this initiative is to direct more resources towards the Pacific island countries to counter China's outreach. 
The two leaders agreed to meet again in Washington next year to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the alliance. Yeah, in some ways, uh, this summit talk, I mean, anytime the leaders of South Korea and the United States meet, it's obviously a, a, a very important summit. But this one was supposed to be the big one because uh, what a lot of, especially the South Korean side, what they were expecting now that the U.S. midterm elections are done and over with, uh, now this is when they can now talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, whether or not South Korea get an exemption. But here is the thing. Uh, although there were hopes of that, I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act, this has been passed into law, which means that they cannot change this uh, unless, you know, obviously laws can't be changed, but it's just like so Janet complicated. Like Yellen has put it, a law yeah. is a law, right? Yeah, law is law. And I think that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, pre for President Yoon, I mean, why don't you go out there now that the midterm elections are done and over with and tell Joe Biden, listen, we want an exemption. And, uh, you know, you kind of uh, said you're going to work something out. But like you said, Janet Yellen said, it's law is law. So now that the best thing that we can get is a grace period, right? If you can't change the law, at least give South Korea the grace period of like, let's say, three years, uh, giving them an enough time for them to uh, form the factories that are already being built right now. But like you said, law is law. And I think there's very little room for change at this time when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act. I know many people in South Korea, they had some high expectations that uh, President Yoon Sagara was going to try to change the mind of uh, Joe Biden. But uh, that, that's, that's just not going to happen. It's it is what it is. It's law is law, right? Uh, let's move on to the other uh, summit that uh, we've been keeping a very close eye on. We're talking about the South Korea-U.S.-Japan Trilateral Summit, uh, where the three leaders made one voice against uh, North Korea's evolving nuclear and missile threats. Uh, tell, tell us some more. SJ, we're hearing the term extended deterrence a lot these yes. days. And yes. President Biden on Sunday reaffirmed Washington's commitment to bolster its extended deterrence to protect its key ally, South Korea and Japan from North Korean threats, reiterating that the U.S. commitment to defend Japan and South Korea is ironclad and backed by the full range of capabilities, including nuclear capabilities. The three leaders condemned North Korea's unprecedented number of ballistic missile launches this year, including multiple ICBM launches, as well as a flurry of conventional military action that also poses a grave threat to the peace and security on the Korean Peninsula and beyond. They also urged the North to abide by its obligations obligations and commitments to denuclearize, stressing that another nuclear test by the North would be met with, quote-unquote, a strong and resolute response from the international community. Biden added that uh, regional security environment challenges will only strengthen U.S. commitment to reinforce extended deterrence to Japan and South Korea. And as part of the efforts to achieve this, the leaders agreed to share North Korea missile-related information real-time to improve each country's ability to detect and assess the threat posed by incoming missiles. South Korea and the U.S. have been sharing missile warning data real-time, but South Korea and Japan shared information only upon requests made in accordance with their bilateral military sharing, uh, military information sharing pact, GSOMIA. The agreement comes amid heightened tensions in the wake of a series of North Korean missile launches and rising concerns that Pyongyang 
could carry out its seventh nuclear test at any time. Yeah, and that's the other question, right? I mean, we've been talking about it for months. We've been talking about it since the, the very start of this year that North Korea is probably done uh, with the preparations for a seventh nuclear test. We haven't seen it just yet, but still, uh, with a uh, slew of uh, t- major international events happening right now, including the G20 summit, uh, there's, again, speculation that North Korea might conduct their nuclear test there. Uh, but it is no surprise uh, that North Korea Korean issues took center stage, but uh, what other topics were uh, brought to the table? Economic security uh, was among the top agendas. The leaders agreed to launch a new economic security dialogue to enhance and protect the allies' technology leadership against what they called forceful economic pressure. They said they will fine-tune each country's initiative on global supply chain and research and development before implementing them. This, as they emphasize the importance of trilateral cooperation to strengthen the rules-based economic order to enhance economic security and prosperity throughout the Indo-Pacific and the world. During the summit, President Yoon presented South Korea's new Indo-Pacific strategy for a free, peaceful, and prosperous Indo-Pacific region. And Biden and Kishida welcomed the initiative, saying they look forward to close trilateral cooperation in the process of its implementation. The summit is widely perceived, as uh, Pogyong mentioned briefly, as Seoul's declaration that it will stand closer to the U.S. side amid escalating U.S.-China rivalry, as the leaders also discussed their commitment to stand with Ukraine against Russia's aggression and their opposition to any unilateral attempts to change the status quo in waters of the Indo-Pacific and the importance of maintaining peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. The presidential office said it was the first time the three countries adopted a joint statement of a comprehensive nature covering major economic and political realms, including some of the very sensitive points. But as we've seen again, uh, South Korea is not going to blatantly say, listen, we're going to uh, just straight up side with uh, United States. Uh, China is our enemy. They're not going to say this right now. And again, there's a lot of uh, uh, political ambiguity there. And they're going to, of course, again, you have to keep China very close. And this has been the difficult thing. Uh, not just in the UN administration, but previous administrations as well, where they have to try to balance it out. But uh, naturally, though, you're going to find South Korea kind of leaning more towards one side. And so far, it does seem like, and not surprising, uh, that they're leaning more towards uh, the U.S. side here. Uh, in the meantime, you, uh, President Yoon arriving over in Bali, Indonesia this time, this for his uh, G20 schedule. Uh, let's get the details of that, Pogyoung. Sure. So late Sunday, President Yoon Sagar arrived in Bali, Indonesia, and to attend the group of 20 summit and other business events. Starting today, President Yoon will attend the Korea-Indonesia Business Roundtable and a B20 summit involving businesses from the G20 nations. Attention is also paid to whether Yoon will meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping on the sidelines and hold a South Korea-China summit. Although the G20 summit is scheduled to be held until the 17th, Yoon will depart two days earlier to return to Seoul early Wednesday. And according to the latest update, the business arm of the G20 dialogue, called the B20, is currently in procession. The G20 leaders' summit will kick off tomorrow. And President Yoon just delivered a keynote address at the B20, stressing the importance of digital transformation to solve private sector-led supply crisis. 
All right. Now, what we are going to be watching very closely is, of course, the outcome of the G20 summit uh, tomorrow. Uh, from the get-go, there was a lot of attention to this year's G20 summit because there was speculation as to whether or not uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin was going to be attending the G20 summit in Bali. He is not attending the G20 summit, I think, for uh, a number of reasons. I think uh, it's just the, the situation right now. I mean, you know that if he's there, there's talks about maybe some of the world leaders boycotting uh, any event presided by Putin. And Putin right now is not the le least popular uh, leader, world leader, uh, after probably uh, Kim Jong-un at this time. So uh, he is not attending. But what a lot of people are getting their eyes fixed on is the U.S.-China summit. Uh, we know that the U.S. and China rivalry has uh, really been increasing over the past years. Uh, it's gotten worse uh, during the, the, the Biden administration. Um, although Biden and she have talked over the phone about five times before, this is going to be now the very first one-on-one -on -one face-to-face -face summit talks uh, since Biden took office. Uh, it is going to take place at 6.30 p.m. Korea Standard Time. It is 6.27 right now, which means we're minutes away. Uh, talks are expected to cover a wide range of issues from uh, Taiwan to export controls uh, to North Korea. Uh, the White House also said that President Joe Biden is going to be very honest and is not going to filter anything as we've seen with Biden uh, in the past. Tan, uh, what are some of the key points to watch out for in this uh, major summit here? Uh, let me first give our listeners a bit of a background uh, in which the summit will be held. This will mark the very first in-person summit between President Biden and President Xi Jinping as all five previous talks were held online. It came as a bit of a surprise that the meeting was materialized to begin with as major channels of dialogue between Washington and Beijing have been shut after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in August. And the meeting also comes after President Xi entered his historic third term after the party Congress and after Democrats retained control of the U.S. Senate, clearing the path for President Biden to seek his policies. So the summit will offer some clues as to what U.S.-China relations will look like in the latter half of uh, President Biden's term and also how it will impact regional affairs in the Indo-Pacific region. The two are expected to touch upon a wide range of issues, including economic and regional issues to Ukraine, North Korea and climate change as well. And President Biden and Xi will likely agree on the need to boost partnership in mutually beneficial issues in areas where they can cooperate, uh, which can serve as a cushion to avert accidental collisions or unnecessary collisions. But many pundits say it'll be uh, hard for the two to avoid a diplomatic collision regarding a few issues, namely Taiwan, uh, as China during its party Congress has declared that it will not give up use of force for reunification with Taiwan. And China will likely express strong regret over Washington's export control of advanced semiconductor equipment on China. And Biden 
being a strong human rights advocate will likely up the pressure on what he calls China's horrific abuses of the Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities. Much attention is also being drawn to President Xi's message regarding North Korea's unprecedented levels of missile provocations. China and Russia have rejected talks at the UN Security Council on fresh North Korea sanctions, and President Biden is expected to call for China's constructive role to stop North Korean provocations, uh, including the much-anticipated seventh nuclear test. The White House has previously stated that the U.S. has no choice but to boost the country's military presence in Northeast Asia should North Korea rage ahead with the detonation. Yeah, and that's actually one of the main reasons you might be wondering, well, I mean, if China and North Korea, their allies, uh, would it it not matter for China if uh, North Korea goes ahead and conducts their seventh nuclear test? The thing is, China is not not a big fan of the nuclear weapons test by North Korea and the main reason for that is because anytime there's a nuclear test like that or even with mif- missile provocations when there's a flurry of missile provocations too much focus is on that region you're going to see increased activity from the United States military in the, on the Korean peninsula and China never liking that obviously with the the whole that issue right i mean that's that's because of North Korea in the first place and China doesn't like that uh, which is again North Korea related issue and climate change uh, being some of the very few things that the U.S. and China can agree on. But again, uh, usually when we talk about these summits, uh, they like to talk about things where they're not going to have to argue and things like that. I mean, Joe Biden is going to you know, bring up the human rights issue and stuff like that. And uh, what uh, they call is uh, terrible, uh, what is it, terrible economic uh, activities done by China. I think that's what the White House said. But uh, it's not going to be all rosy. Uh, we'll, of course, get the results of that and cover that on our program tomorrow, I'm sure. Some are pinning hopes that Chinese President Xi will send a strong message both to Russia and North Korea, banning all kinds of nuclear, all forms of all types of nuclear use in the world. Yeah, and that's the other thing is uh, if and when North Korea does end up conducting their seventh nuclear test and then now it goes to the UN uh, Security Council resolution for a fresh round of sanctions, uh, it does seem like right now China is going to be on board and not veto, uh, even though they have the veto power. Uh, but the big question is, of course, Russia, although I think Russia recently came out in their uh, general, UN General Assembly that they voted against North Korea's nuclear activities uh, was what I think it was. And so it seems like kind of like Russia is not on board with the whole, you know, North Korea, you know, nuclear weapons test and things like that. But uh It'll get interesting. Uh, We're just hoping that the nuclear test doesn't happen and we don't have to talk about it, right? Uh, Guys, let's talk about the financial market. Uh, I'm sure both of you guys are not into cryptocurrency uh, (laughs) trading. I do very minimal, and even the minimal uh, amount that I put in is just turned into ashes right now. Uh, (laughs) This is because the world's third largest crypto exchange, FTX, uh, filed for bankruptcy. Uh, Some people are actually uh, comparing the collapse of uh, the FTX to the collapse of Enron. I don't know if you guys remember Enron. This was major. It was an energy company. There was a lot of sketchy uh, business activities there, which resulted in the bankruptcy of Enron. A lot of people getting uh, arrested and things like that. Uh, Let's talk about what's going on right now with the uh, cryptocurrency market. Sure. So as you said, the world's third largest crypto exchange, FTX, announced Friday morning that it and 130 affiliated companies had filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. 
founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried also resigned. The size of the debt is around 50 billion US dollars, which is approximately 66 trillion Korean won, making it the largest bankruptcy case in the market. The reason why people are comparing FTX to Enron is because both companies' collapse is related to cooking the books. Enron collapsed in 2001 as it was discovered that the firm had engaged in shady off-the-books business and accounting practices. There are speculations that some crypto exchanges, including Huobi and Crypto.com, have also been faking their reserves by transferring funds between each other. Since having filed for bankruptcy, FTX tried to procure additional funds, however wasn't successful to avoid its eventual collapse. It's expected that there will be more than 100,000 creditors, but that liquid assets only amount to about 900 million U.S. dollars. Considering that there are no cryptocurrency protection measures in place, there is little chance for the investors to get back their money once FTX goes bankrupt. The collapse of FTX will have an overall impact on the market. Institutions such as BlackRock, SoftBank, and so on that have invested in FTX will also be experiencing loss as well. Domestic exchanges normally receive external audit every quarter or twice a year and post the outcomes on their websites. The two largest domestic exchanges such as Upbit and Bitsum say that their cash-to-asset ratio is 102% and 119% respectively, stressing that they are not insolvent, but they don't disclose any details of their wallet addresses or any other specific details, which does not lessen the worries of investors. I mean, BlackRock, uh, SoftBank, I mean, these are big, big companies right now. And uh, it's uh, kind of interesting making this comparison to Enron. And uh, Enron was basically cooking bugs. You know, they were not doing well. I believe it was their CFO, Andrew Fastow, I think, was basically writing and making it look like nothing was wrong. And then it really led to a massive collapse there. But uh, it's not good for any of you. Uh, again, Patrick Pierce is saying, this is why I don't do cryptocurrency. Kudos to you. Uh, Seoul shares ended lower today. This after the U.S. Fed official said that the Fed is still a ways to go before stopping its uh, raising rate hikes there. Todd, let's get a uh, market recap. Yesterday, last week, the Korean won appreciated by the biggest margin in 14 years against the greenback, ending sharply higher on Friday on signs of easing U.S. inflation and the government's right. foreign exchange supply measures. But that gain was wiped off today as Seoul stocks ended lower, with investors moving to cash on caution that it would be too early to expect the Federal Reserve to slow the pace of its aggressive rate hikes. The local currency ended at 1325.91 against the U.S. dollar, down 7.51 from the previous session's close. The benchmark Cosby lost 8.5 points to close at 24.74. Foreigners and retail investors bought a net 147.6 billion won and 15.6 billion won worth of shares, respectively, while institutions shed a net 170.8 billion. The market opened higher after Friday's sharp advance, but fell after a Fed official, Christopher Waller, on Sunday said the Fed is still a ways to go before stopping raising rate hikes. Guys, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to start uh, end things off uh, with some uh, uh, more sad news this time. Uh, some updates on the crowd crush tragedy over in Itaewon uh, some two weeks ago. Uh, from what we are now hearing, uh, one more person has been added to the total death toll here. Uh, Pogyoung, give us the details of this. 
Sure. So according to the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters on Monday, the death toll from the crowd crush in Seoul's Itaewon neighborhood rose by 1 to 158. The additional victim is a South Korean woman in her 20s. And yes, and another victim who died on Friday was a soldier whose family decided to donate his organs. And out of the 196 who were injured, 186 were discharged from the hospital. And the government will hold this week a disaster management task force kickoff meeting and design overall related strategies. And the 2022 Safety Korea drill will be held from the 14th of this month till the 25th to minimize any disaster-related damages of the public. And uh, this is, of course, the news that we had been dreading uh, because we knew that there was a number of uh, people uh, who were still in the hospital, uh, many of whom, some of them were in critical conditions. And uh, again, um, terrible to hear news like this. And it was really, again, I mean, very respectable and honorable, I think, for the family of the soldier uh, who donated uh, his organs uh, in exchange for his life. Of course, he gave the life of a number of uh, people out there. So again, it's been two weeks, but it's uh, I'm sure uh, this incident is still very much uh, fresh in the minds of many South Koreans uh, here. So uh, we'll give you guys uh, some more updates on this as it comes out. But for now, guys, thank you very much for your updates today. Have a safe rest of the night, and we'll see you guys again. Have thank a good you. Evening. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.